Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 31, Bombay's Secret Play. Hello, Big Chillites, and welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. A big hello and welcome to all our new listeners who are surely on here to get the up-to-date info on all sports and chicken sandwich war-related info. Unfortunately, I have no chicken sandwich war updates, but Eddie, Sam, how about you guys? I have no updates on the chicken war, but I, I didn't think that chicken it sandwich a, war. It's not a war of chickens. chicken war. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be such a rapidly evolving conflict that we were going to provide like daily updates on how yeah. it was going. You know, the fans want it. And America is just over consumed with these chicken sandwiches every week. A new one's coming out. Well, I don't have anything on sports. So I guess that concludes the podcast. <laughs> no, well, I don't. I don't have a chicken sandwich update. It's not really a thing in the UK. This is all about the US, right? This chicken sandwich stuff or chicken burger, as we call it. Yeah. Well, if we don't have a chicken sandwich stuff, I do have a um, sports opener is I don't know if you guys saw, although because baseball is kind of tough to see over in Europe, but Carlos Rodon threw the second no hitter of 2021 for the Chicago White Sox. And unfortunately, he was one walk away from a perfect game and he lost his perfect game by hitting a batter in the ninth inning on like a shitty pitch that just hit his ankle. I don't know if either of you saw, but it was a super unfortunate way to lose the perfect game because even as the guy was like running to first, he was almost chatting with him and laughing basically saying like you easily could have moved out of the way and you kind of just let your foot sit there. So you blew my perfect game. I don't know if any of you saw that. Yeah. I I mean, I didn't see it live, but yeah, saw the reaction to it. And I, it's one of those things where people are like, he could have gone out of the way. He could have turned it down too. Right. Like even if you get hit by pitch, you can elect to stay at the plate. He could have really done that if he thought that stealing someone's perfect game that way was kind of unfair but but as a batter don't you want to ruin someone's perfect game isn't that you you know like you don't want to be the team that got a perfect game thrown on them there's only been what like two dozen i think um i guess i'm torn there's the kind of love of baseball where you kind of want to be like see a moment in history in a way um i remember when who was the pitcher who had that perfect game stolen away from him when they made that bad call on the runner at first in the ninth inning? Galarraga. When he had, when he lost his, and what the team that he was playing against, like when they, when the call was made by the first base, um, first base umpire, they were disappointed. Like they kind of put their heads to their hands in disappointment that like the blown call has robbed this guy of his perfect, perfect game. So I guess you want to stop it. It's kind of embarrassing that none of you could get on base. But at the same time, it's kind of being part of that moment in history that. So I did some digging after that because that was the 20th no hitter by a Chicago White Sox player. Seems like a lot, right? Um, 
I mean, I guess it doesn't seem like a lot in a hundred and twenty years, or how long, however long the White Sox have been a franchise for. Well, there's all right. So there's been three hundred and seven no hitters in the history of baseball. Okay, so proportionally speaking, the White yeah. Sox are getting a lot of them. So now my question is, are they the number one team? And this is going back to like the other iterations of a team, if you know what I mean. Are they the number one team with the most no hitters ever? So you know the answer to this. This I is do. Spec- yes. Okay, because you no, make no, me I sound do. like speculative. Are yeah. they? No, are I mean, they? Sound okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, I have no idea, but I would uh, say that <laughs> has has it. There's a lot of games, right? There's like 120, 130 games in a season. 160. 130 years plus history but, but of baseball. The key is years the, the key's not the number of games. He's told you the number of total no hitters, and he's told you how many the White Sox have. And now you just have to work out if you think another team has a larger chunk of that total oh, number. It's a nice, easy yes or no, then. Don't even have to guess. Like it is binary. Great. Yes. I'll say no. So one of us <laughs> is right. The answer is no. They are number two. But the, the only reason... who number one is? The, the reason why I was pretty confident it was no is I don't think you would have asked the question if the answer had been <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, is this the biggest number? It is. <laughs> it um, is. <laughs> they are number who, two all time. Who's number one? And this includes like previous iterations of the franchise. Yes. So like the LA yep. Dodgers is the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yes. The Atlanta Braves are the... Or the Boston Braves, like all that. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'll say I'm. I'll say the Yankees, and I it's don't. Not the Yankees. The Nationals. real way you'll beat yourself up is you named them. Okay, the Braves. No. <laughs> you had, you had oh, it's the Dodgers. Man. It's the Dodgers. Good yes. job, Sam. The Dodgers. Yeah. They have 26 Cheers. no hitters, and. Their last one was actually a team effort. That was the one where the guy pitched like six innings, and then they brought in someone for the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. And then before that was like Clayton Kershaw, Hideo Nomo. Ooh, who's gonna hit that no famous Nomo slider? You be Jose Canseco. What's that from? <laughs> I'm Jose Canseco. I'm I don't know. Jose wait, Canseco. I, I've I've actually I'm... never known less about a sentence than what you just said i'm gonna guess sandlot but no liar liar okay when he gets some baseball stuff (laughs) i don't remember baseball stuff (laughs) i don't remember this movie well enough that is again i know this this is like when such he gets a theme dragged of this, out of the court. He gets dragged out of the court. And he's like, Hold on. Have you watched it? Have you watched it recently? Have you watched it recently? Uh like a year ago, maybe. <laughs> okay, that's pretty recent for Liar Liar. Why? Yes. It was on TV and I just started watching it. I didn't sit down and watch the whole thing. Okay, that's it how it on. that's how it works. That's how it works. It has to be on TV to watch it. No, <laughs> I could go on place. demand and pick it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's I probably can remember Sam. I can remember like two percent of that film. No, I can remember zero percent of that film. The only thing I can, I can remember, remember is, that entire film. Yeah, yeah but you remember yeah. This is the point. Like, I don't know. I, I, this is, and I know this is a running theme within the podcast, but for someone who has such a horrific memory for all things not random movie trivia, it's incredible. Like, legitimately, I think if we asked you to tell us something from last week, 
impossible for you to do, but then you can tell us line by line the script of Liar Liar. <laughs> because it was a movie of my childhood, pre-CTE. But it's not, I mean, but, but it's it not like a though. memorable film of your childhood, right? It's not yeah. like GoldenEye, where I could tell you a lot about GoldenEye. Wait, Liar Liar. In, in, your, in the 20 favorite movies from your childhood, Liar Liar cracks the top 20? No, I, no, I don't think it would crack the top 20, but that's not what I mean. So it was one of those movies where, like, for instance, we'd go on a family vacation every year. There was about 20 of us. And your parents and... like got divorced during Liar Liar. <laughs> no. It was and super we'd memorable. To, we'd have to choose movies. And Liar Liar was one of the movies we would play like every year everyone just loved it and would laugh so like for instance we'd always play dumb and dumber or like billy madison yeah. every year that would get played and like liar liar was another one of those that would always constantly get played I mean, i'll agree with dumber dumber I'll, I'll take dumb and dumber that that i i remember a lot of that film actually but that's because i watched it a lot so i guess i take frank's point that if in uh, his man. bubble he watched it a lot then therefore he remembers that's fine and we've all got those random movies we've seen more than most people but I will say again, the fact that Liar Liar is cracking a list with like Dumb and Dumber, Billy Madison, you said, right? Like those are, I can understand people not liking either of those, but those are kind of in at the top of their genre. And then Liar Liar is like a middling Jim Carrey movie. Like it's not. Oh, I, I think you're underrating Liar Liar. I think it's really funny. I think you're overrating Liar Liar. <laughs> I think that I think there's something about the name liar, that makes liar. it a bit more better. I think there's something about the name. That it just is a memorable name as opposed to a really, really good film. Like, I mean, it's no nothing... Ace Ventura. I mean, this is the second time that we've... we've <laughs> yeah, we're going to bring up Jim Carrey films again. We've debated the, the quality good, of his work. Good thing, because today our guest is Jim Carrey. <laughs> be that would be quite the pull, yeah. That would probably be a very boring interview. Then again, what's he doing at the moment? In all he seriousness, he's like very paint. strange now. Yeah, he's like yeah, super he's... strange. I'm yeah. just going to put this out there in case he listens. I'm not going to insult his his uh, talents as a podcast guest. So Jim Carrey, I think he'd be a great interview. And you're more than welcome to come on board. No, I remember Pro- he did prove that. Prove me wrong, um, Jim Carrey. Jerry, he did that thing with um, Jerry Seinfeld. Comedians and cars. That, was it cough? Yeah, comedians and cars, cars coffee or coffee. whatever it was. Well, that's and just it wasn't yeah. very good. Oh, but that's the Jim Carrey one was pretty good. D- Jerry Seinfeld's really? like the most boring person on earth. He's so up himself too. He thinks he's like the arbiter of comedy. <laughs> no, in an honestly, interview format, his style doesn't come through as well. Like it's not very situational in an interview, right? You define Seinfeld? everything. That Are we happens. talking Seinfeld or Kerry here? Seinfeld, you mean? Seinfeld. Seinfeld. I just think him doing what he's doing doesn't really work. Oh, I like, like Seinfeld too. I like Seinfeld the TV show. I find yeah. Seinfeld the stand-up to be to completely unfunny. I and think it's funny. Seinfeld like created or was one of the creators of arguably the greatest sitcom of all time. So like he deserves his place at the, like all time comedy table, but he seems to have this image of himself that like everything he's done has turned to gold. And in reality, he had a successful stand-up career, an incredibly successful TV show. And then he's managed to like turn a YouTube channel into like a successful Netflix show and everything else he's done has been pure garbage. Well, his, his oh, involvement with Curb Your Enthusiasm the movie? was great. 
his involvement with Curb Your Enthusiasm was an actor. Like he's, yeah, he he's played just, himself. Yeah, but, but he did he play himself. Him. Like he's, he's kind of it's an extension of Seinfeld in a way. <laughs> like ultimately, yeah. that's what he did. Right, but, but he's still great in it. You, yeah, but he he's just appeared in a few episodes of a really good TV show. Like he doesn't get credit. That's like that's like me being like, well, Aaron Rodgers. You know, like not only is he a great quarterback but he's also a great actor and a great tv host because the part he played in jeopardy and the part he played in game of thrones he's nailed it well eddie funny that you say that because i've been reading some articles that he is the leading contender to host it full time and he said he said so much he said yeah he said he he can do both But he said he can do both that like they were like, oh, you'd have to wait till you retire from the Packers. And he was like, I only worked 187 days in Green Bay last year. So there's no reason why I can't do both. Yeah. Diversify. Makes sense. He's been voted the best so far by like polls of the audience and the fans and stuff. I I saw some clips of him doing it. He seemed the thing. The only way I can accept the Aaron Rodgers as a host is we have to stop viewing the host of Jeopardy as being like a genius. Like it, it, it's part of what Did bothered think me. Alex Trebek was a genius. People treated Alex Trebek like he was very, very, very smart. Like as really? if he wasn't seeing the answers on a cue card, as if like he is like, <laughs> of, of course, you idiots. Some like, fountain of knowledge. <laughs> like I have had multiple people tell me how intelligence, and I'm not saying that Alex Trebek was not smart. But like he was a game show host who just happened to host a game show that like required intelligence to do well at like, yeah. And that's, I'm not going to accept that 20 years from now we start hearing, well, Aaron Rodgers, like if he hadn't played football, he probably would have cured cancer. (laughs) That's a step. He definitely wouldn't have cured boringness because he is pretty boring from videos I've seen recently. Can't even chug a beer. Now, one one NFL player who, whose career has come to an end is Julian Edelman, who announced his retirement. It didn't come as a surprise, A, because he's been injured basically for the last three years, uh, B, because the Patriots terminated his contract. Which that would do they, it. Well, when they did it, it was part like he they knew his retirement was coming, so they were finishing his contract so he could retire. Um, I mean, not that they he had they had to do that in order for him to retire, but uh, I liked his I liked his letter was just a basic acknowledgement of the fact that he'd been worn down by injuries, and I think he, as part of his statement, he said the wheels have finally come off, which I thought well, was a nice way of summing up the end of your career. Did you watch his actual like announcement where he says that? No. Oh, I thought we could. I, I thought you had watched it because it would have been good to discuss. So basically there's a, what do you call it? Like a director's chair. Is that would be the proper term for that in on the field in Foxborough. And he kind of like walks out there and he sits down and he kind of just talks about really? he's retiring. Yeah. So he's retiring this and that. And it, it kind of for like a minute or so plays audio clips of, you know, his plays. And it's kind of like the, the camera's circling around him as he's looking around fo- an empty Foxborough, like hearing the echoes and the sounds. And then he gave his little speech. It was fine. It was okay. But then the weird thing, I didn't, I don't get it. He then stood up and 
kind of walks like he's going towards the locker room and about halfway he gets about halfway and all of a sudden he goes beam me up and, and all of a sudden he goes Zoop! and he disappears and then that's <laughs> the end of it <laughs> it's like wait what well he's he been like star elevated wars to fan? a higher yeah star trek or star trek <laughs> <laughs> just gonna just gonna flag you there <laughs> yeah i i just think that's i, I mean how inflated your sense of ego is that you need to do like do that kind of sense of like a director's chair in the stadium and all that. Like, yeah, I get he's a bit of an icon for the Patriots, but really that comes across horrible. Like if that was in soccer and I'd be, there would be one of the cheesiest things I've ever watched. It's a little much. It's a, I prefer just a nicely written statement and then like send a letter to the, put a letter into the fans in the local newspaper. I think that's, and maybe you do like an Instagram video of yourself just saying like, Hey everyone, I'm retiring. Thanks so much for all the support. Like, but yeah, to have done it, to treat it as if like, this is a significant moment in the history of the Patriots and potentially a history of the NFL that uh, I have the most iconic Super Bowl catch. Well, probably second most iconic Super Bowl catch of all time. Maybe third. Interesting. Where would that would rank? Cause as soon as I start, for me. Yeah. As soon as I start thinking, I can think of other ones that are kind of like more iconic. Like the Tyree catch is definitely above the Edelman catch. And so is the Steelers. Um, San Antonio Holmes, was it? Yeah, or, I think so. Or was it, it Hines Holmes? Ward? Maybe it was Hines Ward. I don't think it was Hines that, Ward. I think that's it's so iconic. I can't remember who did it. But <laughs> I can picture exactly what it was. In the back corner. Picture. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might have yeah. been San Antonio Holmes. The feet drag. I and think you're right. That that one's more iconic because it like won the game. Yeah. Same with the Tyree. It was on the game winning drive, whereas the Edelman one was just like momentum sh- shifting, part yeah. of a big comeback. Obviously contributed to the victory, but wasn't like that final nail in the coffin. But it would have been if he didn't catch it. Let's be honest. Yeah. So it would have been over the other way almost just as important, right? As a game-winning drive in that respect. Oh yeah, huge catch in the context of the game. But yeah, it's not like the highlight that get. it's the highlight that gets shown because a lot of the other things that happened there were just kind of football plays. But it's not as if like, yeah. this is the moment the Patriots took the lead or tied the game or whatever. And he was the other, you know, two fairly large uh, high-profile athletes in American sports retired because it was not only... Uh, Julian Edelman in the NFL, but also Brooklyn Nets center Lamarcus Aldridge in pretty NBA. sudden and shocking, wasn't it? Yeah, so he retired because he had an irregular heartbeat, and during the game uh, against the LA Lakers on Saturday, and then after the game, it seemed to get worse, and so he basically came to the immediate conclusion that he had to retire due to health reasons, but like basically went from being you know not a in necessarily important part but certainly like a you know someone who was going to get regular playing time in the nets team who are hopeful of challenging for the nba title this year with a super team they've kind of put together to career over in you know space of a couple of days seems a bit i mean surely there was a ton of medical advice there right to like be like if it gets worse you have to retire or has he just done something pretty drastic that no one expected and even doctors are like this could have been helped or addressed 
I don't know anything about a regular heartbeat except that it's a regular, <laughs> but I don't know if there's any way to like challenge that or to challenge, you know, like it. have like a, yeah, is this a thing? But no, like a kind of pacemaker equivalent that can almost like recalibrate the heart rate or something. I don't know, but he's, yeah, I mean, he, that, so that would be what you might need is you might need a pacemaker, but you can't play with a pacemaker. I don't think. Yeah. He said in his statement that the, though I'm better now, what I felt with my heart that night was still one of the scariest things I've ever experienced. So I think it's also probably just in the context, like if, if anyone's told you there is even a 5% chance that continuing to play sport and like, and that intensity runs the risk of you having a serious issue with your heart. And we're talking about a 15 year NBA veteran here, not someone just starting out on their career. So he's made tons of money. He's, probably going to end up in the hall of fame even though he probably shouldn't be but just like that's the way the nba hall of fame works multi-time all-star like he can point to an incredibly successful career why would you risk it yeah yeah that actually just happened to i think it was like a penn state running back that was i think this year um he was well i think he was like first or second string running back for penn state you know, potentially could have had a shot at the NFL and then he had the enlarged heart and then he literally had to retire or not retire, but like quit on the spot playing football. So he went from, you know, like being two years out from the NFL one day, waking up the next day, being told he can never play again. That must be pretty devastating that way around, right? Because, you know, the career ahead has been prevented. So, so close, you don't know right? how, yeah, you don't know how it would have materialized. Whereas Aldridge the other way around, right? You've had such a you've had the career, you've done as much. Okay, there might be some what-ifs along the way, but you've kind of done it ultimately. Yeah, it must really suck going that way. You've done it and you've made an absolute ton of money. (laughs) It's not about the money. It's it's not about the money, but if you are someone who's been a top high school recruit, you're in like playing in a Division I uh, college football program, part of, yes, you want to make it to the NFL for the experience and just how amazing that whole thing would be. But also part of you is thinking if I can have a 10 year NFL career, I don't have to work in anything else. Whereas yeah. now it's like, Oh, it's like, I'm a normal no skills. person. Yeah. Well, you might have skills. Like that's not, that's no, not no, it's done. It's done. <laughs> One it's trick done. pony. That was it. But that thing that you thought was going to, was like your golden ticket is gone. And now you need to find the alternative. And worst case scenario, right? You're, I mean, this isn't worst case because in football, as in soccer, some players have died. But like, if you're Aldridge or something, you don't want the like uh, Fabrice Mwamba situation, um, which obviously Mwamba was fine. And it was interesting when that happened to Mwamba, right? Because in this, over the span of like three or four years, that seemed to happen to quite a few players, not like, thousands but there were a number of players who had heart issues mid-game and a couple of whom died and obviously Moamba was kind of the most famous of them because it was in the Premier League and because you had clear TV footage of everything but for context Frank Fabrice Moamba was a was a he was playing for Bolton at the time right Bolton at the time yeah Bolton against Spurs I think it was at White Hart Lane and he collapsed in the middle of the just in the middle of the match just just collapsed It wasn't even like there was a a stagger or a stuff like anything before, and he just dropped. Yeah, down. as if he it was, it as was if quite he was scary dead. To watch it was scary and, to watch, 
And supposedly he claims, and I think some other people claim that the only reason he survived, and I might be getting some of these details slightly incorrect, was because the Tottenham team doctor, because obviously like they are normal full-time doctors who then on Saturdays or whatever are team doctors, like that kind of thing. The person who was there as the Tottenham team doctor was a heart specialist, like just by pure chance. And so had it not been for the fact that this person was like one of the best people in London to deal with exactly what was happening to him, he would have yeah. died. So um, I remember that day because I, you know, you get those Facebook memories. And you have, <laughs> I love like, that you were talking about someone <laughs> having a serious health condition and you've got a smile on your face. No, no, no. People are going to be able to hear that you're kind of laughing. The, when we did the Facebook memories, I there was one that came up about Mwamba, and obviously I had put something like, "Oh shit, Mwamba, I hope you're okay." You commented, going like, "That's a that's an interesting way to get out of a shit performance." <laughs> and then about half an hour later, <laughs> you were commented like, "No, nah, but seriously, I hope he's okay." <laughs> it's such a you thing to do. Yeah, I remember that. Though. That was pretty. There was another one though that happened. Um, as well i can't remember like where it's like in italy or something like that where that exact thing happened and obviously tragically the guy passed away but um yeah yeah yeah, yeah it no, is, it really, it is pretty it, scary it seemed over the, at that in that era it happened to a few people and then maybe they just do more heart checks or more sort of who knows i mean i guess maybe with all of the tracking like all of that information that they're taking from those sensors in matches and in training maybe they have a better sense then of a player's if there is an issue with their heart and there is something irregular, but it is interesting that there was just this period of five years where that was kind of a thing within football. And then seemingly touch wood, I suppose it's no longer a thing. Yeah. Cause what was that like 15 years ago, maybe? Yeah. Late, late noughties, as you would say. Thank you. I appreciate you adopting it, but yeah, like even like in that 12, 13 years, like so much has happened in terms of like sensors and constant tracking or understanding like um, a fibric ribbon or something like that as well. Just like being able to detect those irregularities sometimes even before they become a problem is like really, really clever. There was a here because Tucson has a minor league hockey team there was a player who went into sudden cardiac arrest and basically just dropped on the ice and they ended up like doing CPR, like chest compressions for, I think it was like almost two hours and like while rushing him to the hospital. And then they did some like crazy procedure that isn't like a really well-known procedure and brought him back and he survived. It was Wait, crazy. So was he, was he at any point like clinically dead? Yeah, for like two hours, he had no heartbeat. I don't know why, but in my mind, when you're like, they did some crazy procedure, and none of this in any way makes sense. Think, like, you think okay. the Nick? I, no, I immediately I thinking, went to Pulp Fiction. I went to Weekend at Bernie's. I <laughs> just said this idea of them bringing him back and him just sitting next to the ice, and they're like, I'm okay. And just like waving his hand in the air. No, the procedure is actually called extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, but Oh, that's not oh you didn't have to Google that one, I'm guessing, live. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of minor league hockey, guys uh, all caught up on the Mighty Ducks. 
Episode wow, three. Sam, Sam with the rare transition. This is yeah, uh, not a bad one. I saw it. Game changers. Like, yeah, game I mean, changers. They're not minor league hockey, right? But I, I don't know. It looks relatively minor to me. <laughs> well, they're twelve <laughs> minor years old. in age. Minor <laughs> in age. Yeah, minor in age. Minor in age. Minor in stage. Yeah. So, so spoiler alerts for anyone who's not caught up. Yeah. If you, know, you pause if you us right watched, now, go watch, watch it. Yeah. And then and come, come right back. back. <laughs> Um, drop what you're doing welcome yeah welcome back to the big chill podcast half an hour now later. welcome back everyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have watched episode three yes okay so in our newest episode they play the ducks and how's it go guys <laughs> best episode not, yet not really saying much not saying much but yeah it is the best episode so far why less of the mother and not that I dislike, but like she, it was more about the kids and the hockey a little bit more. And it becomes a little bit more serious. Not that the Mighty Ducks is like a serious movie or TV show, but it at least has lost the idea of like, we're just going to be like happy, clappy, don't bothers. Like there's actually getting down to like, we need hockey. Um, yeah. So that bit's better. Also, it, it won an award for me for the fact that they are they doubled down on calling the Canadian the human tripod. So the <laughs> I knew moment, you were gonna love that. The moment that got yelled out, I was I'm I'm more on board. The human tripod. I love it. I, there was, I'll tell you what, we are finding a potential hidden gem among all this in the podcast kid. Because he continues to be the best comedic relief of this show. Yeah. Not when the he best. calls it the, Coco the only, Chad. The only. <laughs> the only. Yeah, he's he's the only kid in there. Although the Sophie one, I think, is pretty, pretty generic, but at least acts it pretty well. Not really funny, but at least kind of is convincing in somewhat about having like a torn, you know, whether she stays with the ducks, why she would stay with the ducks, that kind of thing. Did you all um did you all like the Apple sponsoring again coming in with iMacs everywhere and you're, you know, you're upset. You I are obsessed. No, I'm all. saying it like product placement is something I identify, and Apple are plastered on this one. Apple have got their teeth in it. I I mean, or just people use Apple products a lot. Yeah, but I cover them up, right? No, not in TV shows normally. Uh. Well, either way, that is their go-to choice okay. in the mic. <laughs> so it's, it's the world's go-to choice, Sam. Yeah, I mean, just like, I know you're, an, I know you're an Android guy, but you're just like, you just have to accept that the world's <laughs> made its decision and people like Apple products. Um, the thing with the podcast kid is that whenever I look at him, I just feel like he should be, um, what's his name? Sean Astin's child. You're right. That's a pretty like, good one. He looks that is pretty he, good. He really looks like like I checked if he was and he is not. But but like I I assumed when I first saw him, I was like, yeah, this is Sean Aston's kid. Especially if you go back to when he was in the Goonies and take him at that age versus yeah. this kid. I bet you they look very similar. Oh no, they you don't have to bet me. They yeah. do. So I I'm surprised you guys like this episode as much as you did, because this was, to me, the worst hockey of all the episodes. Oh, oh okay. Yes. I mean, if we're going to unpack it on a like, quality of hockey, 
No, but what? but the first two episodes, the quality actually wasn't terrible. And what this are one you talking about what they this one is just this is a no, strange no, 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 angle not that you they're have. playing. I'm saying the realistic nature of them playing hockey, like in episode one and two, it looked like 12 and 14 year olds playing hockey. Like it looked as if they got kids who can actually play hockey to simulate playing hockey in this one. It, it did not look good. And then the play that they drew up, the play was, was the stupid. dumbest thing I've ever what, seen in my fall entire away life. or whatever. Let the human tripod fall on the puck, but yeah. not fall on the puck. That that bothered me too because the cons the the premise that it was the brainchild of uh, Gordon Bombay Bombay yeah and so like the scheme he has come up with is this gimmicky now I mean I guess this is the mastermind of the Flying V so like he's not afraid of gimmicks but the the Flying V is like he didn't he didn't do the Flying V okay sorry for upsetting mighty but- historians. But the concept of the flying V even still makes as dumb as it is, it makes a lot more sense. Yes. Than this does. Yeah. I mean, Surely this he is... would have been ruined, right? He would have been ruined by the sticks. Surely if he had landed on the puck, well, <laughs> they would have been absolutely trouncing the kid. Well, no, I guess I got two issues no. with that. Wouldn't, wouldn't they have a, wouldn't they have just stopped the play? Like if a player is on top of a puck, wouldn't they have just they, like, a lot of times they'll say like, move it, move it, move it. You, they'll probably give you like two or three seconds to move it. And then, but the premise that everyone fell for it, that's yeah. like the, that's the real killer that like every single player just swarming in. Yeah. Just like, I'm going to smack the shit out of this kid. The <laughs> human tripod try. is going to get it. <laughs> this kid cannot sit on the, like sit on the puck and have a massive dick. Like this is going to take him out of this one. But yeah. but my favorite part of that sequence is after he scores, he gets absolutely gets annihilated. <laughs> yeah, he gets annihilated. And this that that moment reaffirmed like- my my other issue with this show, which continues to be the case, which is that, and again, I get it. Kids like to look. I said this the first time around. I can get it from a kid's. This is a kid's show, and then from a kid's perspective, this might make them feel better. But the premise that all adults are idiots. So the fact that the ref ref was like, remind me like, <laughs> like penalty. And the kid's like, that's the end of the game. He's like, okay, remind me next time. And just skates off. Like, yeah. like he's a moron. Then also the dad of the podcast girl who just like sits there by, yeah. as this awkward creature. And then they score and is like, go like, yeah, this he sits person. there like some troglodyte kind of person, just like, yeah. uh... but seemingly a super successful accountant. Right. Because everyone within this world is fairly wealthy, uber successful in these like high, apparently Minnesota is prime for these like all glass windows, startup companies. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, what a, yeah. How what that, I found how... funny was when, um, Gordon Bombay, did you see when he sneakily picked up the book and was obviously writing the fall away, you know, plan? He looked I didn't, possessed. I actually, I did not see that. <laughs> did I you did not. watch, watch it even for just like that 15 second clip? Cause he looks like, you know, when they do like some sort of seance and they're calling like the possessed and they start taking control of their arm. It, it looks really strange. It's a really weird thing watching him just make massive 
arm movements to put in something that really is small and basic. It was a bit strange to watch. That's also the other part of it, right? And again, it's not supposed to be grounded in reality in any way. But the fact that she sees the play, they then, I mean, I don't even, she calls a timeout. Yeah, she calls a timeout, then shows them the play. Are there, are there timeouts in hockey? Yeah, there are. Okay. And they're done by the coach doing that. You get one. Or anyone. And uh, okay, so that's realistic. She, they come in. (laughs) That's realistic. They come in (laughs) and, and she, she, they look at this chicken scratch on a piece of paper and understand like where's the falling over there was no description of it it was it was dots it was the way you would draw playing football like just lines and dots and arrows which like what part of it was the human tripod falls over lays on the puck everyone (laughs) thinks he's on the puck and you sneak down the side like and they and then even it. then the guy goes around it, right? He does like some sort of pirouette around it and then fires off a goal. But also just to add to that, where's the development in to get to the point where they're following a play perfectly when last week they couldn't skate? And then <laughs> even more than that, the kid who scores, who, okay, is the only like Decent remotely player. skilled hockey player, pulls off like the move of the season to like <laughs> pirouette around the, that girl. Where was that all game? Why did he need to have some play drawn on a piece of paper to be like, oh, you know, could you do that like NHL level move where you like drag the puck and do a spinorama do, do a spin and then and then just and then just fire it into the top corner? Could you have just done that earlier in the game? Like it would have helped us out a bit. Yeah. I mean, if he can pull that move there, then he should at least be getting a few goals a game. I agree. The yes. other issue I have is the plays where you watch the goalie, he legitimately cannot even move. Move. How the Ducks don't score 45 goals on this kid. I, I mean, every shot should be a goal. And they can have 40 shots, 50 shots a game. How they only score 12. I mean, he literally just stands there. He doesn't move. He doesn't even try. Well, he, he says like, X button. <laughs> yeah, like he just... <laughs> Like he's mildly like challenged. Um, and then the other issue, and this ties into all, all, all adults being idiots within it. The fact when the don't bother score a goal, the reaction within the parents of the mighty ducks, which is like, Oh, oh come on. How'd you let this? Sc- oh. like, <laughs> you got guys, it's like 16, one or whatever it is. 14, one. Like I, I've played sports with some fairly intense, uh, parents in attendance and i know how aggressive and and like all of that can get but i have never seen a situation in which in the only people who i could see potentially the only parents if they were super intense getting angry in that scenario it's the girl the girl's parents for like allowing the kid to just skate around her and maybe yeah. the goldie's parents because it's like well you had a shutout and you've blown it against yeah. this garbage team yeah everyone shot else, all game and you let it in yeah, but everyone else, the parents being like, oh my God, what are you doing? It's like, come on, people. Like, even in the intense level of sports, this is ridiculous. Because obviously, then, spoiler, it was what, 17 1, and they won by 16. Yeah, so, something like that. Yeah. And the coach, in no way, shape, or form. And the coach bag skates them after. Do you get that a lot, by the way? So, two things at the end of that. Would you ever have, because of a 17 1 loss, a win? 
you would then have to go out practice five minutes later, I think he calls. Yeah. Is that common that, you know, NHL teams will, you know, if they lose badly, they'll go back on the ice five minutes later and practice? He's he's, he's seen Miracle and he's just... Yeah. Uh... Wait, uh, I mean, that does happen even in the NHL sometimes. If you lose really okay. poorly, sometimes a coach... I, I mean, we're, we're talking rare. We're not saying you win by 16 and you go out there, but I have heard like stories the... where like back in the day, not as much anymore. But back in the day, they used to do that. You'd kind of get punished and have to go and skate more. Yeah, obviously, miracles, that example. And what about the concept of defections? Because she just walked over and signed up for this club, right? The, surely the Ducks, when they were talking at the start about kind of all of these like trainers in the audience helping the kids like develop and stuff like that surely there must be some sort of like contract or like mini sort of no, like I don't think there's a contract. level of something. No, I'm Infection. sure you could just, it's just kids sports. I'm sure then now there must be some administration that has to occur to transfer the kid from one to the other. It's more, the only person you had to question in this process is the mother who's the coach of the don't bothers that she would, even if she's happy, even if she does like, thank God move, she would have to do the like, have you spoken to your parents about this? Because like, I can't just like, can't Something just have you, you turning up suddenly into our training and our games and your parents are just unaware. It, it would have been a bit of a shit of episode if they yet. showed her. Yeah, if they showed her for like it's half true. an hour doing bureaucracy. She's, she's not there yet. There could be the twist in episode That's four. episode four. She's got to convince yeah, yeah. the parents. You know, you know so, what this sounds like? Sounds like a case for the human tripod. <laughs> he's gonna come in and, and sway them but, it sounds uh, like episode four is gonna be a really shit episode then because it's just gonna be her filling out like health insurance forms for this new kid sam i think <laughs> speaking to the parents i think we could clip part of what you just said and say sounds like episode blank it's gonna be a really <laughs> shit episode and that could be consistent for every future episode but yeah. uh i mean there has to be at some moment right they're going to discover some more talent this has to happen I mean, because that was kind of the premise of the Mighty Ducks originally. You you think this is the roster? You I think, think that's it now. I think she is the Connor Banks of the original Mighty Ducks. Well, Gordon Bombay is going to come on board now, right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's becoming the coach at some point. So I, I don't think I'm he'll ever become his... the coach. I think he's no, gonna he becomes have... the he becomes the coach. How, how did we feel? To, to how do we how feel did... about the description? The how do we the feel story, about his, his explanation the story. of his fall, his fall from grace? Oh yeah, forgot about so his fall from grace. I have, I have, I have one point about it was that, you know how he said that there was this like uh, gifting problem or something like that to do with money, and all he wanted to do was give the kids some money to buy tape. It's like why not just give him the tape? <laughs> like, yeah, that, they should have thought that. Point. They should have thought that through better because it didn't. Now it would have I been think even, even if he gives them tape, it's still it's still a right. Breach. But that would have made more. He's a he's a hockey. Yeah, coach. but rather than giving a kid cash, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like he's a hockey coach. He probably he has an unlimited supply of tape. He could have been like, I gave the kids some tape, and then they told me that actually the amount of tape I gave him was like obviously not in this this way, but it was like over the threshold and counted as like a gift that cost me my job. Like that would have made more sense if he was going to give him money. It should have been like he didn't have enough food. Or something and i gave him money for i made, gave him money to go and buy lunch something like that would have been like ooh, harsh and i like how he threw in like and he's in the nhl now yeah 
<laughs> but guess who? Ungrateful I, little bastard. I'm here. You know. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't actually mind the whole thing. I, I think it kind of makes sense, you know, got injured, kind of fell out of love with the idea that the Mighty Ducks just became too much of like a, a big team for their own good. So stopped kind of thinking about themselves or thinking of themselves as like a team in that respect. But it just got to the tape bit and I was like, I don't get it anymore. <laughs> I don't I kind of lost it. If they had stopped there, where it's like I've fallen out of love with the game. Yeah. Done. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I agree with you. It wasn't the worst way it's, of explaining his hatred of hockey and stuff. But I gave but I gave a 13-year-old some cash. So Well, I assume it would have been like a reasons. 17. It would have been like a 17-year-old. There was there was one point during the Mighty Ducks, though, that I was getting a bit confused because they kept calling that guy Coco Chad. And yeah. I, like I was legitimately like, if this guy is black, this would be a really <laughs> bad look. Just seeing all these kids calling this guy, oh yeah, Coco Chad. We just call him that all the time. Yeah. And then they're like, is he the Coco delivery guy? No, he's the garbage man. <laughs> Like I, I couldn't get past that after they had said it. I was like, I hopefully, in a way, hopefully this guy's not black, which is a weird thing to say. Don't use that so as a soundbite. Yeah, something you say a lot, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> but yeah. Again, they alluded to that kind of like underage thing, though, didn't they? With that girl that served the cocoa having a conversation the, with the podcast kid. And then the guy who she's dating looks like a grown-up version of the podcast kid. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was even funny. weirder. What, the mustard delivery guy, right? Or something like Again, that. Again, he delivered He delivered a good comedic line there where he was like, if if that guy can get a girl like that, then there's hope for me. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's the only redeeming factor in this TV show. So uh, Mighty Ducks... Game Changers, episode three, ranking out of 10? Six. It was probably the best of the episodes so far. Even with the oh, hockey wait, not being that on, great. Wait, no, no, hang on. Sam, that Sam was and I agreed on this early on. And that was not your standpoint. Have you been convinced? No, no. I think in terms of like storyline and progression, there seemed to be some momentum here where it's getting out of the annoying mother hogging the episode kind of stage although i still don't get why don't they just teach what i feel like sam and i started off saying exactly this you disagreed and now you're saying it back to us as if it's your (laughs) revelation no no i'm agreeing with you i'm saying the thing that i didn't like was i thought the level of hockey that they showed wasn't as good as the original but everything else was better the only thing that I don't get still is why haven't they taught this daredevil kid to just run into people (laughs) instead of just random boards. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that he does it like randomly and not even, not even a daredevil way. Sometimes he just gets on the ice and skates headfirst full speed into the boards. (laughs) Like he should be taken. He should just be taken somewhere for some treatment because he might have some issues. Did you like the bit when he hit the vending machine and the crisp came out? Like that was that was cool because yeah, he was almost cool too kid. cool. Yeah, he's the fun too this. cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it, I'd say six. Best of them yet, but hopefully more to come. I like the fact that they 
kind of started with the hockey and then it materialized more as kind of like the story of the aftermath of the hockey. I think that was a better way rather than like, oh, let's build up to a game where we know they're going to lose. It just, it never felt like it was going anywhere. So, you know what? How much, if a, how much more will you admire this TV show if they never win? If, if the, if there's no underdog story here, they're just terrible at hockey forever. But obviously they come, they like each other and there's development off the ice. But if the show doesn't try and tell you, hey, you could be horrifically bad at hockey and become a professional hockey player. If in this one, it's like, oh, no, no, you really suck at hockey. Like hockey doesn't matter that much, but you really suck. I think, I think you're onto something there. I like the idea of, I mean, this will be bad for a kid's program, but the idea that no matter what they do, no matter the camaraderie, the friendships, everything they develop, they never get to a point where they're competitive and it's just heartache throughout. I think that'd be great. That'd be saying for HBO more than anything else rather than the well, Disney I mean, Plus. They got to start getting better soon because they're already, what, three weeks into the season and 80% of them still can't even skate. Like at this point, it's going to be hard to, well, to work on your passing and shooting skills if you can't even skate. They can skate oh. when the game isn't being played. And they don't when have they go to skate after, When they go to skate after after the game, they're all suddenly Olympic skaters. But as soon as the puck gets dropped, they they <laughs> like have two left feet. Yeah. When, when the puck drops, they collapse. But when someone shows them a play that is beautifully choreographed and performed and um enacted but anything else in hockey no it's they are a set piece team nothing else i mean you a have to piece team. They <laughs> just constantly run plays and they're like unstoppable but then you just don't like just do whatever they just fall <laughs> when they freestyle they collapse they need structure also the the canadian kid deserves more credit than we maybe gave him for his role in that play because for the human tripod to be able to lay flat on his stomach is quite the achievement. Getting smashed by hockey sticks as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I think we might be the only unofficial Muddy Ducks Game Changers podcast out there. We need to change it from unofficial. I Unfortunately, I think our human Disney. tripod jokes are I, not I gonna, the, uh... the human tripod is my dream podcast guest now. Bucket list <laughs> podcast guest is the human tripod on here. Just let's talk girth. <laughs> I think that's uh, going to get you to jail pretty quick. <laughs> Hello, 12 year old child. Question one. <laughs> Stalk size. Oh, and that concludes the podcast and any involvement in the public eye for Eddie for a long period of time. But no, look forward to next one. Was it tomorrow? Friday? As in- I actually don't know which day they come out. I keep checking to see if there's a new episode. I've It's Friday. Get a notification. I'm pretty sure Fridays. Nice. Speaking of hockey, how about that NHL trade deadline, eh? No. Ooh, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. So crazy we can't talk about it because the listeners well, might go insane. I'm not going to talk about it because we're going to need Sam's picks in a few weeks. And I don't want to spoil it by saying who loaded up really well and who's set to make a run. Good idea. Yeah, we'll save it for the playoffs. And then you can tell us when you make your playoff picks, you can explain why you think the trade deadline played a crucial role in those selections. 
the best thing about that is I've completely forgotten everything I would have said previous. So I won't even listen to previous podcasts. It will be a complete memory of a squid. Actually, do I have good memories? I guess talking about, probably not, but I guess talking about uh, squid selections, big news, I suppose, for our baseball baseball fans out there, which is that uh, Sam has adopted a baseball team. He's chosen one to follow, one to support. Is adopt the right word there? Because that makes it sound like that team is being done a favor by Sam. <laughs> well, they have been. They've got the they've got the support of Sam the Squid, and that's pretty big. Yeah, you know, most things is it? I touch turn to gold. <laughs> well, so at a professional level, at a professional yeah, level, so. yeah. So, Frank, who do you think Sam chose? Sam, can you give me a hint as to how you chose your team? No. <laughs> make a make a first guess, and then I'll tell you the in, the criteria he gave to me. Okay. I'm going to say Seattle Mariners. No. So the criteria, I mean, the Mariners, sworn enemies of the squid, right? That would have been. <laughs> That's why I kind of <laughs> thought that. Um, he, this doesn't really help you, but he eliminated New York, any New York teams. Fundamentally kind of, I think, didn't want to be big franchise, basically. And for whatever reason, had very strong opinions on it not being the Washington Nationals because he is the outsider's perspective of how significant the Washington Nationals is. According, I, you would have thought the Washington Nationals were the New York Yankees, the way that Sam was talking about them. So, hmm. Uh, Detroit Tigers. Uh-uh. I not like a big their budget branding. team. I think they've got a clean bit of branding as well. The Marlins. That helps. No. A clean. Just a caveat, by the way. I said the Baltimore by a mile have the worst logo. The Orioles? Yeah. Yeah. He did he did a like uh like an audit on the branding of all major league baseball teams and and Baltimore came out with the lowest score. Yeah. They're unique for a certain reason. The, the team he chose the team he chose unique. for unique i will say for a fairly obvious reason the phillies no can i ask why they're unique because of that guy with the big nose <laughs> the mascot no they are unique for a much more obvious reason i'll tell you what give me another guess and then i'll tell you the obvious reason the brewers now nice. it's a location-based reason. You go to the Diamondbacks? No. Ah, uh, unique. Okay, I'm going to give you the no, next reason. No, no, no. <laughs> I like. I do though. For any listeners, they can contrast Sam's total panic at being asked any question from from the previous episode with Frank just calmly saying names. If this had been reversed, this would be like I don't know which team it is. I just don't know, guys. I don't <laughs> know who it is. The Blue Jay, uh, Toronto. Nice. Yep. Unique in the sense that they're Canadian. Yeah. Yes. Unique that they're non-US. So yeah, uh, when the new game comes out, so MLB the show 2021, I am going to adopt the Blue Jays as my team. And just saying there for anyone not out there 
who still as of yet, as I can tell from our YouTube subscribers, has not subscribed to our YouTube channel. If this doesn't sway you, I don't know what will. You can go to our YouTube channel and you'll be able to see some streams of me playing Sam in MLB The Show. Really? Yeah. Great. Well, me figuring out, but <laughs> well, Sam, we can go. To, we can go to the Rogers Center and watch a few games. That's where the they play. Sam, I was hoping. I just I thought it might be one of those. I thought it might be one of those weird trick questions where he's like, "Oh, we can go there." I'll be like, "Yeah." I'll be like, "Ah, no, but I just you. like That's that you Seattle. said it." I knew that you had no idea really what he was talking about, and you just nodded as in like, "Yeah, no, I nodded." I'll go to the Rogers was, Center, of course. But I then thought it might be a trick question or a trick. You know, like he's leading me down a path. I would never trick you with Toronto. I love Toronto. If you time it right, maybe you can go to Jurassic Park and to the Rogers Center. We have Jurassic a lot Park of trips planned. It's the outdoors. Yeah. For a world like, currently in, in, um, in pandemic, we're planning a lot of trips. <laughs> well, when you have the big budget of the Big Chill podcast. Now, from TV shows and looking ahead at sports, I guess we could do a little bit of reaction to the kind of major sporting events of this week, which has been the Champions League quarterfinals and the Europa mm. League quarterfinals. So the, for anyone who somehow, I guess if you're totally not into football, you will not have seen that the semifinal PSG knocked out Bayern Munich, uh, Manchester City knocked out Borussia Dortmund, uh, Real Madrid knocked out Liverpool, and Chelsea knocked out Porto, meaning the semifinals are PSG against Manchester City and uh, Chelsea against Real Madrid. Any... Uh, Big thoughts and takeaways from the from the quarterfinals? I didn't... I mean, Chelsea-Porto was a good tie for Chelsea, but when they drew Atletico Madrid, I really didn't expect them to see them in this position because you would have thought that they would play like an equally as good team after that as well uh, in Juventus, ultimately. But uh, no, pretty surprising seeing Chelsea there. I don't think when Liverpool lost to Madrid... Uh, you didn't really feel like they had the Anfield form to get back. So that tie kind of felt like Madrid were going through and it kind of kind of shone through, basically. Um, PSG was probably the more surprising one out of them all, that they they managed to hold on the way they did, but also the way they got... I think... Well, they got pummeled, didn't they, in Germany, but were clinical in the yeah, way... Yeah, the, the manner that... The, it didn't surprise me that PSG went through in that tie, given the fact... Now, if Lewandowski had been playing, I think this is it's just a completely different story. In either leg, it's just a completely different story. And Bayern Munich need to take a long, hard look at themselves for the fact that the only option they have is either playing a midfielder up front or playing Chupamoting. Now, on the back of Chupamoting actually scoring in both legs, that kind of doesn't look as bad but the reality is i genuinely felt sorry for him at times because it felt like you'd taken someone he just was like must have been thinking to himself like this is this is not for me like i am not meant to be playing in this match at this level with this much on the line we we touched it a few probably a few weeks ago now with the whole ronaldo messi and how it's unfortunate because Lewandowski is can't be compared because you have those two there, but does this kind of show you maybe he is 
that of that level. Like, I, I mean, the fall off, I mean, you would have easily picked them to win had he played, but now he doesn't and they, they can't, I mean, one player is, is, is he really that good? It, I don't think it's how, I mean, yes, he is that good. It's just a drop off from a world-class striker to a guy who basically is, I would say fundamentally a championship level forward. And, you know, like in the second leg, it maybe didn't hurt them quite as badly. Although Chupamoting just like couldn't hold the ball up, couldn't get involved in play. So that when they were trying to put any passage of play together, it would kind of bounce off of him. And then PSG would get the ball back and, and everything would have to restart. The killer was in that first leg where they had, what was it? 34, 35 attempts a goal. And like, just not having someone clinical there to put the third. I mean, I think they would have won the first leg five, six, two, if they'd had, you know, him up front. So it's not, yes, it does reinforce how good he is. It just, they need to be taking a look at themselves and being like, how have we, it's like a couple of years ago when with Spurs, when Harry Kane went out, it's like, okay, yes, this player is your most important player and you can't really have a, that good of a backup because they're going to get frustrated because you only play one up front. So you can't have someone like, you're not going to have a superstar waiting in the wings to play, you know, 15 minutes a match at best, but you can have something better than this. Like this is, this is terrible. Yeah. The, the weird thing about it, going back to your point, Frank, is that, when when Ronaldo was at Madrid, you had other players around him that could easily do as much damage in a way. So the drop-off wasn't that much. The team would still perform. Um, the same at Barcelona, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, but fundamentally the team would probably still perform. What was weird about Bayern Munich was that, as Eddie mentioned, if Lewandowski's there, they score five or six. They still played as a team and had 35 shots, but wow, to go from that to that is massive, especially in kind of the biggest game, biggest scene. Uh, you know, if Madrid lose to like Villarreal in a league game, it's like, okay, well, they've lost. But, you know, to do it against PSG and to have that kind of performance, but that lack of goals and clinical edge, I think really shows a drop-off um, to what Lewandowski gives them. But again, it's it's not, yeah, it's just, we're talking about Chupa Moting. Like, this is well, a player practice, who before <laughs> yeah we were talking about Chupamoting. i mean like who somehow over the course of his career now will have amassed because of the weird move to psg which was because even though he plays for uh cameroon i think he's a french national so i think but that might be wrong but I think that's why PSG signed him in the first place was because of some restrictions where, like, I think he was born in Germany, but I think he's actually, this could all be wrong. But I think that's why PSG signed him was because they needed a player who for squad registration purposes didn't count as an additional foreign player. This is what I think. That's why I think they brought him in. Now, regardless, like, A, you're talking about a player who now will retire having won the French League, won the Bundesliga, he played in a Champions League final last year with PSG. He's now played in a Champions League quarterfinal with Bayern Munich. Future generations will look back at Chupamoting and think, wow, he must have been quite good because like, suddenly he starts to put together this CV that's like semi-impressive. But prior to that, you're talking about a player who played 
at Stoke, didn't do a lot. Played at Schalke, was okay, but not prolific. Played at uh, Mainz, played at Nuremberg, and played at Hamburg. And in none in, on, in none of those teams did he ever look like someone worthy of being snapped up by a larger team. I mean, pre, having previously played in Germany, with Schalke, he scored 18 goals in 82 appearances, which isn't, it isn't horrific, but it's not a return rate that should be getting Bayern Munich interested. Like there's a reason why when he left Schalke, he went to Stoke and not Bayern Munich. So like, I just don't understand how what is fundamentally such a well-run club ended up in that position. Yeah, it is strange. I think to a very lesser extent this happened, but I always used to think something similar is like almost like how does that person keep getting work, but also increasing the worth of that work as well. I always used to think that about like Nicholas Bentner, for example, it's like, how does he keep playing for Arsenal? But then simultaneously he went on like loan to Juventus at one point when they were good. Uh, Wolfsburg, he played for, for a long period of time when they were kind of frequent European contenders as well. I was like, how does he keep, justifying that level of work for what he's doing. But Tuba Monting's just taken it to a completely new level. Sam, if midway through that match, you could have offered Bayern Munich Nicholas Bentner up front, they would have snapped your arm off. And they would have probably taken your hand off if you told them you could have Nicholas Bentner right now, as in in his current form, not even prime Nicholas Bentner whatever that yeah. prime was like yeah, that, whatever that looked and like. I'm not even saying that as a joke, like Nicholas Bentner is much better than anything mm. Chupa Moting is. So like well, he that's, scores, right. That's the intention of Chupa Moting and Bentner, right? They score Bentner scored what one in five, maybe in his Arsenal career, I think for every start. Whereas Chupa Moting, I just don't get it. I, I really don't get it. No. And, uh, and yeah, I just, so, but and again, not to take this away from PSG because you know they played very they played very well. And I think the thing that surprised me, it didn't stun me that they went through, particularly given that that injury up front for Bayern Munich. What did surprise me is the manner in which they went through, which is that they showed resilience. Uh, they had like flashes of brilliance going forward. They looked dangerous every time they got forward. They went forward. That's not surprising when you have Mbappe and Neymar and Di Maria and Draxler. Like you should look dangerous when you go forward and you have all that pace, but. Mm. I thought when it went 1-0 to Bayern Munich just before halftime, I thought at that moment in time, PSG would fold because it did seem as if they were being a little bit overwhelmed by the, the Bayern pressure. Halftime probably came at the right time for them to kind of interrupt that. But also, uh, I would have definitely said if they're going to qualify, they have to score. Like that I would... There was no way, like if you had told me on Tuesday morning, PSG are not going to score this evening, I would have been at it. I would have been like, oh, well, okay, well, Bayern Munich qualified. Like there's no way Bayern Munich didn't score two goals. Like this is so like any scenario that I saw for PSG qualifying involved them scoring a goal, possibly two. In a way, I mean, just kind of looking at the ties now for the semifinal, I think I want to see Man City PSG more. I, 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 I look forward to that now. I really do. I, I, I know Man City are favourites with the bookies pretty, 
relatively speaking, for a semi-final heavily. Um, but yeah, that that feels like a really exciting game. I know, like last season, all we wanted was the Man City Bayern game to be a thing. But so, so you mean you wanted it more than you would have wanted Bayern City? I guess. I guess what I'm saying is that. Now the Bayern are out. I really don't mind this tie. Like, I think this is a really it's, exciting tie. It's a good tie. And in a sense, I think there's a lot up for grabs mm. because for PSG, there's a tremendous amount because if they have any hope of keeping Mbappe, I think they have to win this because like if they lose this and particularly if City outclass them, then for Mbappe, it's going to be like, well, this is it. Two years in a row, we've kind of put together good European challenges, but we've come up against teams and been undone. I mean, City are one to two favorites. I think that's yeah. about right to qualify. That seems fair. PSG just have so much firepower. Like, uh, it's scary. And, but they can't defend that well. So, like, I will expect Chelsea, uh, City to score some goals against them. Yeah, for sure. And really, that Dortmund game for Man City was almost like a two-half kind of game as well, wasn't it? Literally. But Man City in the first half, you genuinely had a feeling that Dortmund were looking pretty good for a potential win and a potential scalp here. But then the, the Man City team that turned up in the second half was so good. And it was just really, really clinical in what they did. And you feel like if Man City put in that kind of 45 minutes against PSG, they may just be blown out at the tie really early, potentially. They definitely can't play a half in the way that they played a half in Munich. That's what they can't do against City. They will concede three or four goals in a half. If that second half where Bayern battered them in Munich if they play like that in any of the four halves of the semifinal, they'll concede three or four goals. So like, that's going to be the thing that, and also the status, I don't actually know how severe Marquinhos's injury is, but like they need everyone at the back to be fit for them because if they're missing any defenders, they just don't have anyone to step in. But yeah. And then the other ties, Chelsea, Real Madrid, it doesn't really excite me. It doesn't really feel like it should be a Champions League semifinal because neither of those teams feel like they're one of the best four teams. I'm not even sure if either one of those teams are the best eight teams in Europe. So like it feels kind of underwhelming and it sort of feels like you're playing for the right to lose in the final a little bit. Um, yeah. At the same time, it would be very Zidane that they win the Champions League and it would be very Chelsea for them to win the Champions League and suddenly have it be in a way that you're telling us that Arsenal will have had a successful season, no matter what happens, if they win the Europa League, Chelsea fans will say, well, if we win the Champions League, no matter what happens in the league, been a successful year. Yeah, that was exactly what my worry was about Liverpool, in a way, was that they wouldn't have cared about the worst title defence going out the Cups pretty, pretty early. They would have just been all like, it doesn't matter. Champions League was won, therefore uh, paper over the cracks. Well, I would have seen it as paper over the cracks because what was interesting about that Liverpool game was that seven of the people that started that game against Real Madrid started the Champions League final in 2018 against Real Madrid. And it kind of reinforced to me that 
a major it's more of a major overhaul potentially at Liverpool than it is kind of minor tweaks and stuff like that because Klopp has had to rely on the same people now for nearly four years it just doesn't work anymore and that to me when I saw that stat made me think that that's a team in a weird sense in decline not not in terms of like they've got loads of like 34 year olds and they're going to go soon but they are getting pretty old though they can't get better in, in two that's years the, ago. It's the funny thing, right? But some of those key players, I think you're right. They definitely, uh, they're not in decline, but they have stagnated because all of their key players are still all of their key players. And also all of their key players at that moment were basically in their prime. So it's not as if, oh, well, Manio Sane was 21 then and he's 25 now. Like these are players who were already in their prime and now are reaching the back end of their primes. So yeah. um yeah, I think the rebuild at Liverpool, it's a big one because with the exception of Allison, almost everywhere else where you're talking about their key players in the next two to three seasons, you have to replace them. And that's you have to that's having to nail your transfers for quite a long time in for a lot of money in a lot of key positions. Because with the exception of, I guess, Curtis Jones, it doesn't really seem like anyone's coming through who's going to be able to play up to the standard that they're now trying to achieve. Yeah. And, you know, even Van Dyke might not come back as the same player, but then you need cover because of this exact thing that's just happened. Um, yeah. In a weird way, if I was a Liverpool fan, I'd be worried right now after seeing that loss to um, Real Madrid. Like it was a pretty poor performance in Madrid and then there was no firepower to really change it. You know, they can they can, they can can turn to the Anfield crowd as much as they want, but given their form at Anfield at the moment, I don't think anything would have changed. And I think this has highlighted how bad of a season it has been for them and how much of a fall from grace and a reality there is to this Klopp side. But yeah, um, I mean, look, I think we can't escape when we spoke to John Buckley a couple of weeks ago, right? We did talk about the impact of supporters in stadiums and you do look at those champions league there were a lot of teams winning away from home um or teams failing to win at home you know in the bayern munich match the home team lost in the bayern munich psg home team lost but would that have been different if you like if when it was 2-2 in the bayern munich psg match and you had 60,000 people in the alliance arena really you know would have psg felt a little bit different and then equally even real madrid visiting anfield with the kind of anfield magic not to overstate its importance but like if with 20 minutes to go liverpool only needed two goals right it wasn't some impossible feat if you had had a full anfield behind them would that have made real madrid feel different and would it would have made given liverpool more impetus quite possible so i think like Things are different, um, but yeah, I think for, for Liverpool, it's it's a big rebuild ahead. And if I was Klopp, honestly, I'd leave. If Chelsea win, do, does Frank Lampard get his name on the trophy? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because only the team's name goes on the trophy, but, <laughs> but that would be really weird. Just a really <laughs> angry engraver. Um, it is worth saying, like, we face the prospect, right, of PSG against their former manager in the final which would be kind of interesting from that prospect. Um, Tim sat on a cooler again. Yeah. And Chelsea have a history of getting rid of a manager mid-year, 
mid-season and then winning the Champions League. Di Matteo. Yeah. <laughs> and then immediately abandoning him. So that could have... <laughs> yeah. So, but... Uh, yeah, no. If you're Frank Lampard, how do you feel? Do you want them to... Is Does any part of you... Obviously, I think most of you... Actually, with Lampard, it's maybe a bit unique because he's like, to say Chelsea through and through, but even though he came through the West Ham Academy and stuff, but like he is, his career is tied to Chelsea. The success of the club probably helps him, but does he got so many of those young players involved? If you're him, do you want them to do well? Does that make your it look like you were better? Or if they win, does it just reinforce that Chelsea made the right move? It's it's like that Malcolm Gladwell thing we've talked about I think a few weeks ago with the whole like a C, CEOs are fired so often that the success of the new CEO looks like their success when it's more likely the previous CEO building everything together and that new CEO just takes over. So I think in that sense I, I mean yeah, like um like Biden with the vaccines he's only yeah, exactly. been successful because of because of how good of a president Trump was. Yeah. Exactly. Operation Warp Speed. But I mean, right. in that sense, you, you can, I think internally, you can kind of feel good and say, I put a lot of this team together and it just didn't click in time. But externally, I, I think you have to be a little frustrated. I think you can tell yourself that, but you're still going to be frustrated. Because like a big part, there. a big part of Chelsea going through, right, was Mason Mount scoring a really good goal. And if one player kind of defines Frank Lampard's Chelsea tenure, it's Mason Mount because obviously it's a player who he worked with at Derby and then he really championed and pushed through into the first team. And supposedly part of the reason why the powers that be at Chelsea kind of turned on Lampard was because they required that he played some of their higher earning players in, and instead he insisted on playing youngsters now obviously i think mount mount is like a class above so i don't think that was the example of the player that bothered them but you definitely have noticed since lampard left that a lot of those bigger name players have returned to the fold who had been pushed to the side so like it must be kind of upsetting for him too where he can be like i would look i was right like you're getting through because mason mount is a world potentially world class player, and Reese James is like doing really well, um, and those are kind of his what he worked hard on developing. It was like Tammy Abraham played a lot under Lampard as well, you know, less so, less so kind of now. But I guess I th- I think of it as like almost a, like a manager has a shop window, right? And you're going to be assessing what they did at a previous club. I, I guess in a way, if all these players like Kai Havertz and Werner will turn up and they make these incredible choices at Chelsea, do you say I had a really good transfer policy and it worked? Or is it the other way around where you think I can't coach these big name players? You know, how does it, I wonder how it looks for a manager looking at that, like I brought that in and I was the bedrock why they won the Champions League. Or do you almost like look inside and go, I clearly brought them together, but I couldn't do anything with them. This was bad. I think the I think if you if they turn if not in the Lampard situation, I think he it's lose lose for him if Havertz and Werner and all them do really well. Because the story coming out when he got sacked was that those weren't his signings that like 
the big name signings they brought in were not the players he wanted. And he really wanted like Declan Rice, for example, right? Like that was the type of player he wanted to bring in. And instead these were like semi-forced upon him. And so if you didn't want them and then you kind of use that as like, don't blame me for the big flops. I didn't want them. And then a new manager comes in and then they do really well. Then it looks like, well, you couldn't judge the, the, the talent in the first place and then you couldn't manage the talent. So we really had to get rid of you. Interesting one, actually. Um, I mean, if I'm going to pick a team in, like Man City have been fairly consistent for me for a long period of it. I, I picked Bayern Munich at the start, but I, I think it's hard to look beyond Man City at the moment. I think barring a surprise in the final, if they beat PSG, they've got one hand on the trophy in that respect because they'll go in bigger favourites than they will against the PSG, uh, than the PSG tie. So, um, yeah, so I'd still pick Man City. But. They're just over even odds to win in Paris. I would say they'd be just under even odds to win in the final. Kind of like even 11 to 5, 11 to 5, that kind of market. Yeah, yeah I could see that. Yeah, especially against two teams that it's weird to see Real Madrid at 11 to 5 in a Champions League final. And we know what Chelsea can do when kind of backs against the wall when they're the underdog. Usually yeah. that's when they perform their best. I, I agree one, with you. I'm I'm wanting City to win. I think they're the best team in Europe. So it feels like the right thing as a neutral. Um, there's no compelling underdog story for me in any of this. Uh, in like hoping that PSG or Real Madrid, I mean, it's four plastic clubs, right? Like that's what we've got in the final. We've got four teams who it's like checkbooks have been like it's been brought out and checks have been written and we're about to see who wrote the better checks, but the, at least city, it feels like they are the best. And somehow like, it seems unbelievable to me when I think back on how I felt about city 10, 15 years ago, but they've kind of evolved into this like semi, like I like Guardiola. He seems kind of grounded and down to the earth. He seems to understand like there's bigger things in football and fundamentally he tries to, he appreciates football at different levels and managers trying to do different things and all sorts of stuff. Um, some of their players seem okay. I don't dislike yeah. Kevin De Bruyne. I don't dislike Sterling, you know. There's, there's more of a humbleness about the way they all go about their business, I think, as well. Like the, some of the problems would say like, you know, man, you, you always think about like Pogba as like a, this kind of big personality. You know, when you go to like Juventus, you always think about Ronaldo as a big personality. All these players, obviously PSG are absolutely riddled with those kind of personalities. Um, I don't know. There's just something about City that seems more drilled as a football club. They don't have, yeah, I mean, it's strange because they have definite superstar footballers. They don't have anyone who's like a superstar outside of football. And in a way, I think that might've kind of been defined almost by the players who were part played such crew like in Aguero and then looking back at company, they've kind of set the tone almost in that both of them are sort of world-class footballers, but they're just world-class footballers. Like you don't get any fanfare with, with either of them. And so all the other players then who've come into the city makeup, it's hard to be this, the like, not the best player on the team, but getting the most attention for something. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, it also feels like they've built what they have at this stage, even though they bought it all originally. Like the city team feels very familiar. They've most of them have been around for a while. So there is this kind of feeling that they've like put it together and some of them have come through the academy or whatever. Like that feels much more natural than say like at PSG, where it's just been like, okay, we want Mbappe, let's go spend X hundred million. Okay, we want Neymar, let's go and do that. Well, now we want this, let's go do that. Like it just feels there's there's a fantasy football team. Whereas mm. City kind of feels like it's been built in an old-fashioned way, even if it's involved massive purchases at times. Frank, your pick, Champions League? Two City. cities here. City? Yeah. The tripod of City. So one, I, I mean, Man City-Chelsea would be a cool final because I, I truly go. think that the Premier League... No, 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 go. I'm just... I'm, no, I'm no, going to no, come at it from a better angle. Can go. I come at it from a better angle? Like, City-Chelsea would be a cool final because I do think the Premier League is the most dominant league. There is the potential for the Man U Arsenal being more of an old guard final in the Europa League, which How to get probably it shows to an extent where these clubs, but Arsenal progressing tonight convincingly in the second leg, at least. Um, Man U progressing very easily and very comfortably over the two legs. Uh, Roma progressing over Ajax and um, Villarreal progressing over Zagreb. So you've got Arsenal, Villarreal and Roma, Man U. Uh, on paper, I can tell, I can, I know which semi-final is better, but I'll let you tell, say which. But what do you think about the Europa League in terms of like the semi-final, final look, who you think will win, etc.? Good for the Europa League because they are four recognizable European sides. So like as far as the Europa League gets, this is about as good as the semi-final makeup is going to be. Like, I feel like, and I might be wrong, people will be able to point to past Europa Leagues, and maybe this is just like m- me misremembering stuff, but it always feels like in the past that like Sl- a team like Slavia Prague would have been in one of the semis. So you kind of start to lose a little bit of interest, and then you're hoping for the best possible final. Like there's often that kind of feel. Uh, yes, I want the all-English, said it before, I want the all-English final. And if it's City versus either Real Madrid and uh, or Chelsea plus Arsenal versus United, those that's a good... I mean, no matter what, they're going to be too compelling. The Champions League final is going to be compelling no matter what. There's going to be storylines there anyway. And Europa League to be really... it's And it's a very English bias, for sure. I'm sure people in Spain or Italy are like, well, obviously you want Roma or Villarreal. But yeah, I think... And it's an interesting... Like, you have the prospect of uh, Chelsea City, which versus which kind of like the new wave, even though Chelsea are kind of a little bit older, but like the new wave of big English sides. And then the other final could be United Arsenal, which is like the, a, old like, God. Like the very 90s, early 2000s feel to it. So it'd be, it's kind of symbolic, I suppose. I mean, it was cool to see Arsenal play the way they did. I, I must admit, it was one oh of those kind God. of awkward games. It was Slavia hey, Prague. I- Slavia Prague. I, I know, I know, I know. And I, they should I'm have lost the saying, first match. So it doesn't matter how great they played not, this one. One I, out of two, they could barely play well. Hey, we scored seven goals in two games against Slavia Prague and Sheffield United. It's pretty incredible stuff going on at Arsenal here. Um, obviously, I'd, I'd love for Arsenal to win a European competition. Never really seen it in my lifetime. So it'd be kind of nice seeing a couple of near misses, but um, it'd be cool to see that. But Man, you would be a a real tough proposition. 
I would much rather play, I guess the English in me would prefer the dominance of English clubs, but I think Arsenal would have a better time against Roma than Manu. Um, that's assuming that they beat Villarreal. But uh, I don't know what you two think about like who actually you think will win the Europa League. I mean, United are the best team. United. Right? Like, <laughs> they're inconsistent now. All, all of these teams have their weaknesses and, and United could have an absolute stinker in any one of those three potential remaining matches. But, but what's United a worse are... stinker, Eddie? A United stinker or an Arsenal stinker? <laughs> oh, uh, not even close. An Arsenal stinker <laughs> is like League One. I mean, I will say that Man U have this amazing ability of collapsing in semifinals under Solskjaer. And Arsenal have this amazing ability of collapsing all season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's, what is it, like four semifinals they've now lost under Solskjaer? Um, which is, you know, a fair amount. But Yeah, it still means they're consistently making semifinals, though. So, you know, swings yeah. and roundabouts on that one. But... Uh... I, I jokingly said, because uh, I think it was Monday or something, Sam said to me, like, well, be, you know, what, a, what an impressive sequence of results it will be if we've beaten Sheffield United and Slavia Prague. And I made the joke, yes, the two best teams in Europe, beginning with S. This is and, fantastic. And <laughs> I said it as a joke off the cuff and then suddenly had this moment of like, well, okay, Sevilla better and then it starts to become hard to name a team with s beginning with s that's better than sheffield united so we got southampton which is depressing in itself that i had to go there maybe yeah. sassulo in italy <laughs> <laughs> it, sporting lisbon i think is probably the example and i threw it out i'm taking to throw it out you can't. I think no. Severe is the best, but I'll probably give Sporting Lisbon probably second. But Seattle Sounders. Good, good call. Good call. Yeah. Although, but yeah, no, but, it's it's surprising, which meant that we have now we did the numbers draft as a joke, right? But then Sam and I did what we discussed is we want to do a a team uh, draft, like a team sport draft. Cross franchise, we could go if you wanted, or we could be specific on certain franchises or or sports, um, based on alphabetical. Like we draft the best sports teams beginning with M or something. And I think uh, this is going to make its appearance in a future episode. We might have to do some actual legitimate research so that we come into this with information that we can back up. But uh, your workings, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But. It legitimately surprised like, me. If it were M, do you mean you could do like Minnesota Twins or it yeah. has to be like the Marlins? Yeah. Well, that would be another no, no, thing no. we'd have to debate. How, in yeah. the US, is it like location or is it name? I think it would have to be name. Oh, I would have to say location because obviously location is 99% of all clubs in but it's but the opposite in the and States. European. And, and you kind of don't say, most for a lot of teams, you would say their name, not their location. Like you would always refer, almost always say like the Bulls. The Yankees. Yeah. So could Dodgers. I go with, could I do Manchester City as City? No, because that's not their name. It's <laughs> <laughs> their nickname though. But I think we, we will have to debate that rule. Now going off now, just gut feeling. 
which do you think would be the strongest letter? I don't know why, but B. B. So you got Barcelona. Bolton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which sports? I guess which sports are we uh, Boston Celtics. Boston. Boston no, Celtics. not Boston. We just said that we doesn't just said work. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so in B. Braves. Yeah, you have the Braves, Braves. from the US. You'd have the, the Buccaneers. Braves, the, the Bruins. Buccaneers, the Bruins. Bruins. Um, in England, in English sports, B, not a strong letter. C, I'm, Burnley. Got the Cubs. Chelsea. Um, not a great... C's not no. good. C's tough. You kind of have to start with a good team and then yeah, work your way You have to start backwards. with a good club. Yeah, that's exactly what you have to do. Right, well, like, let's, M- let's think about this off air. <laughs> now, here's the thing is Real Madrid, that's an R or is that an M? It's an R. It's Real because their name is Royal Madrid, isn't it? So, yeah, that so it's an a, R. that's an R. Yeah, and that, that, an R. that adds consistency to the rule then that then it's Red Sox, uh, Rangers. The, R could be good. M, obviously, you get Manchester United, Manchester City. So you do so well on the football that's side. That's a strong start from that. Marlins. You could go rugby. You could get Munster. Uh, you've got Marseille in France. Not bad. Montpellier. Gla- oh, no, it'd be Borussia Mönchengladbach, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, in the same way that it would be Bayern Munich. It's the B. Who we left so out B's of the B, Ken. B is a pretty strong one. Yeah, B's got Bayern in there. Yeah. I've already done B, Barcelona. And Dortmund, right? Didn't we just say Dortmund <laughs> as well? Yeah. Oh, Dortmund's an interesting one because Dortmund, you call Dortmund. But yes, they are Borussia. No, you know what I mean? Like, we've got, we got to have a consistent rule. But you know what I mean? Like, for Bayern, kind of for Bayern you, say Bay- you say Bayern. Like you don't say Munich, you say like, oh yeah, Bayern. How how did Bayern play? But then for Dortmund, you would be like, how did Dortmund play? You wouldn't say how did Borussia play. Now, yeah. what about if you did like college sports, like Duke for basketball? Is it Duke or is it the Blue Devils? Oh no, college is college name. So like Duke, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. but not like but not like <laughs> University of Virginia. It wouldn't be a U. It would just be a V for Virginia. No, I can't. I can't. In the if I decided that B was the best letter, I can't take Buckeyes. Like it's okay. Ohio State. This is oh, going to be fun. Take Brown University. Oh, terrible letter. That's going to be. Oh, it's going to be a tough one. Ohio State. Oh, might Ohio. be the worst. Oh, might be the worst. Oh, might be like a Oklahoma. Osasuna. Yeah. O, <laughs> o might be a surprising worst. I mean, because I mean, like the obvious worst ones are like Z. You've got Zaragoza. Um, sorry, it's probably Z, but okay, we've got a we've got a topic here. You could even just go through a letter a go. No, that's <laughs> what I mean. Yeah. That we draft and we take turns and then you feel like who won the draft. Like if we draft the letter M, you get to come up with your like five picks and you could try and spin it, right? Like say you guys haven't considered rugby and we're doing M, I could throw Munster in there and try and say why Munster is a great pick based on, you know, performances in the Guinness Pro 12 and 
European cups or whatever. Like I could try and make my case. Can we do international? So could we do like New Zealand rugby? As in? No, don't think so. That just, that would throw the cat amongst the pigeons. A spanner in the works, as Frank loves to. Got any more? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what do we do? Do we start with A next week? All right. We'll start off. We'll go alphabetical order. We'll go A. To each letter. Oh my God. Some letters are going to be pretty quick. 26 weeks of content. Exactly. <laughs> Just think of half the year. Half, <laughs> our ep- half our episode. I've got a decent O. I've thought of a decent oh. O. Oh, I'll save it, I guess. Save, save it. it for Save it for 13 summer. weeks from now or whatever that is. <laughs> save it for July, Frank. <laughs> yeah, some would be pretty quick. I mean, Z is going to take us. Three minutes. Because it might be whoever picks first and takes Zaragoza. Oh, do I get, because under pro, in Pro Evo or FIFA, they're called Zebre. Do uh, I get pro, to call them Zebre? As pro, Evo, pro Evo and Football Manager, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Do I get Zebre? Um, no. Yes. Ah. Oh, I just thought of another Z, though. Go on. Zenit. Yeah. Okay. There's probably more, you know what I mean? Like if we really look into it, there's probably more than you think there are that you're going to like stumble across. Well, you think about that. I have one more little debate topic on the heels of Julian Edelman retiring. If you could, whose career would you choose to have? Julian Edelman. What was that? 10 years, three, three Super Bowl rings. Or Calvin Johnson, shorter career, but arguably top five greatest wide receiver, but never won a thing. Uh, Am I them? Like, do I get everything that goes along with being them? Or am I me, but I have their career? If you see what I mean. The latter. Yeah, you're not Tom Brady's friend is what you're saying. Well, I'm also then. But I'm also like, I don't necessarily have... Like I've led my life, I've like got to be me, but with their talent and career, because I'm not like I'm not taking over their body. Like, am I in Calvin Johnson's body for the rest of my life? Like, am I Calvin Johnson, or am I me, but with his career? Do you see what I mean? Are you you with with the athleticism of Calvin Johnson? (laughs) Yeah, who then did what I? Who then like I was me? I got to be. (laughs) Oh my god! We need answers. (laughs) Like, you are you. But you have the exact same career that statistical he career as them. Yes. Okay. I think I'd rather be the. I'd rather be in the discussion to be one of the best ever. I think. A short career, but best ever versus longer career and three Super Bowl rings. Well, because this is the other issue, right? Like Edelman also had a bunch of not only the injuries that ended his career, but like he had concussion issues and stuff too at different moments. Right. So like, I don't want to deal with the CTE. So that's why. Okay. That's why I wanted to specify the, um, I think I'd rather, cause I feel like if you're Calvin Johnson, you walk into a room and there's a lot of people being like, here's the, here's like the real deal is here. Whereas if you're Edelman, you walk into the room, it's like, all right, he was a receiver on the Patriots. Like, 
if we'd stuck him on the Chargers, we wouldn't be talking about him. I'm going Edelman's career. Like the thing is there's quantifiable things that say it's been a good career. Whereas I think Alvin Johnson, like it's a what if, and it's a potential greatest, but it's still based on ifs because the career. There's there's quantifiable stuff in his career. Like there's catches and yards and. And year, like, like year stats, you know, I think he owns still some like yearly records. I'd rather go for the Super Bowl rings. I'd go for the Calvin Johnson. I want the glory. I don't care about all this team unity winning garbage. <laughs> you don't care about winning. No, I, I mean, I would be perfectly fine if I was a professional athlete and didn't win. Never had, never had an over 500 season. But when I retired, people said, you know what? He was one of the greatest to ever play his position. I mean, it's just a job. I'd rather be someone who was one of the best ever at the job than I don't know what the equivalent is to winning a Super Bowl in a normal man's job to having a good Christmas party at the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) That implies that there's like seven months of effort to make the Christmas party good. Well, probably those really good Christmas parties too. (laughs) Like week in, week out, you've had to put 100% in. To get a really good Christmas party. Yep. <laughs> and then they had when a it contact, all comes together. Like, the ice sculptor five months in advance to start working on like the, the sculpting for their big ice luge. <laughs> now, speaking about it a little bit, who would you rather be? I don't know if you saw in the news over the weekend with all the Masters coverage that a Masters trophy, winner's trophy, was sold at auction. I think it was on Saturday. If you, if you'd won the Masters or any equivalent, I guess in almost any sport, would you ever sell your trophy? Yeah. Would you sell it straight away? Like, would you even be like, I don't really care. This is just no. a piece of metal. And if someone's going to give me, I think it went for six hundred thousand dollars. You just like, but I guess, do you need the money? If you're selling it, I guess you do. <laughs> yeah. Be, if I yeah, but why it, am I selling? Yes. It? Am I paying it for like gambling? Do I want to like keep, you know? Do I want to like gamble? Wait, what? Is that why, is oh, that yeah, why this, I'm selling it? This guy no, you, sold you, his master's you know trophy of, and immediately a, shoved six hundred thousand dollars on Jordan Spieth to win the 2021 Masters. But wasn't it like Neil Ruddock that did that? Like Neil Ruddock sold all the memorabilia he had, like shirts, match balls, stuff like that, boots, so he could fund his gambling addiction. It's like, but that was to pay I, off. Hold on, hold on. That's to pay off gambling debts, right? Not to. I think it was not to like build a bankroll for a trip to he, Vegas. Is he paying off gambling debts by gambling with the money to try and like win back the maybe he didn't get enough? Turns out a razor reddick shirt doesn't isn't that popular. (laughs) You got what 80 quid. Yeah. (laughs) Oh shit. I'm gonna have to sell a lot of shirts. (laughs) God, I I have overvalued my career. Turns out I need to turn into I have to have the same popularity as the gap to pay off these debts. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wouldn't sell it. I wouldn't sell a trophy at all, especially something like the Masters. I wouldn't sell it. At what? Okay, Frank, you say you sell it. Which do you sell first, your trophy or your house? I ninety-five percent trophy first, unless the house was like an outrageous house that I could downgrade a little. You know, like if I had like Tiger Woods's mansion, like okay, maybe I downgrade. Okay, if I just have a nice house that I like, I'll tell you the scenario. You have like 
$600,000 in debt that you have to pay off in the next month for some reason. And you have no other way of getting a loan or putting the money together. This is it. <laughs> you have a $2 million house. Where? Wherever you want. So you can sell the $2 million house and move into a $1.4 million house or you keep the $2 million house, but you sell the trophy. I sell the trophy. That surprises me. I think I would do the house downgrade for a $2 the million way, to 1.4. The way you marketed it makes the like house sound like a lot of effort. <laughs> admittedly, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's moving house. And admittedly, yeah. admittedly, you've got costs associated with moving house. So like, you're not going to get the pure 1.4 to reinvest, right? Like, so you're probably 2 million to like a 1.3 million. And I picture uh, myself you've living got in give... San Diego, where San Diego, 2 million is a nice home, but it's not crazy. But 1.4, that's basically like a two bedroom in San Diego. <laughs> but remember, you're going to have to pay, you'll have to pay auction fees for the 600K. Yeah, true. So it's so you're probably, only getting maybe like 15, what, 85% oh, of the value? I'll just yeah. sell it on eBay. Yeah, but you've got to get the one pound selling fee weekend. Otherwise, you're getting still like 10, 15% jacked off. <laughs> I'd love to time it that closely. Wait, I'm, I'm getting 15% jacked off and I got to sell my trophy. <laughs> 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 oh, eBay's weird now. <laughs> I would have thought it was the other way. You're like, I'm getting $600,000 and 15% jacked off. <laughs> I have a solid stiffy, but um, yeah, I don't know. I do feel sorry. Because, sell a house as well. I do feel sorry because you see some of these golfers like I might sell it just if you want it in like the 70s or the 80s. And these trophies are now worth phenomenal amounts of money, but like you didn't make that much over the course of your career. So it's a life changing some money to suddenly be, you know, to have like say five hundred thousand dollars just injected into your bank account for maybe a trophy that you've done, you've thought to yourself, do you know what? It's been sitting in my house for 35 years and Whenever a new person comes over, I go, you want to look at my master's trophy? And that's that's it. Usually it's a gay slur these days when someone <laughs> says that. You want to come over and take a look at my master's trophy? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, especially because you'd still have your green jacket, right? Admittedly, you got to keep that at Augusta. You can't take that off premise, off, off the premises. So you do have that. I think they let you take it off the premises for like the, the one week or two weeks after you win. So you can kind of parade around in a really ugly jacket, but then, then it has to go back to Georgia, but not actually that many benefits to winning the masters. I mean, aren't you well, then like a member for life? I don't think so. No, you get, you get, uh, you get to go to the, you get to play in the masters for life. So like masters weekend, you get to be there, but like year round, no, like you can't just turn up anytime and play Augusta. I'm sure you can get yourself. I'm sure you kind of could. <laughs> I'm sure if Dustin Johnson walked in on a random Wednesday, they're not going to well, turn him down. Dustin Johnson's a little different, right? But we're talking about some guy who won it once in 1975 I've probably picked a year that's iconic and like, you know, like it's, oh, Jack Nicholas, but, but like, uh, but, uh, but like it's, 
it's uh wow eddie <laughs> was it jack nicholas, jack nicholas. <laughs> i mean that's not that bold you want it six what times random so. <laughs> that was his fifth masters win pretty good and uh but, but yeah no i think and then you get you get put onto the senior tour you can play that forever i think winning the masters automatically puts you on the seniors tour but you still gotta go and play more golf tournaments the u.s open you think you get u.s open tickets in tennis i mean and i think wimbledon too you get wimbledon tickets for life you get u.s open tickets for life the tennis if you win it and that's even if you win that's like even and not to say that this is less impressive but that's like if you win the doubles like you win the mixed doubles oh you've got you've got like you're in like the champions set you're like always able to go i think you can get two tickets for every day of the tournament oh you can't get two tickets to paradise though <laughs> you just get 15 percent towards paradise <laughs> Eddie, they don't call it the Seniors Tour anymore. Hate to break that too. <laughs> Champions Tour. Champions Tour. Yeah. Well, I guess the Which downside you don't have of... to be a champion to be on that tour. Yeah, also true. But you also don't have to be a senior. I guess that's the like the Senior Tour makes it sound as if they're all going to be eighty-five. But like, <laughs> yeah, like their teeth are falling out every time they take a swing. Yeah. They're dead like, There's players in their forties on that tour. Like, like VJ Singh plays. Uh, Champions Tour events sometimes I think he's been around for about 40 years just in golf yeah. and he looks <laughs> like, ancient yeah like Vijay Singh looks like you would have found him on like Easter Island because it's not far away from that part of the world <laughs> no it's in the Pacific got that right <laughs> yeah I mean, uh, honed in the area something <laughs> yeah I've narrowed it down to like 60,000 square miles or whatever whatever radius that would fall into. Wow, I didn't realize Bernard Langer tears it up in the Oh, he dominates. The store. Oh he my dominates God. the yeah. champion store. He dominates it. He's actually one of the best. If you ever wanted to like place bets, the number of times I've just thrown him into like a weekend accumulator because it's like he, he's the thing is for by golfing standards his odds are awful. Like going into tournaments, he'll be like two to one to win a tournament, which is crazy. And he obviously doesn't win every single one, but he does. He does absolutely dominate. He he wasn't far off this time around. I remember in the last Masters, he beat DeChambeau in terms of score. And then this yeah. time around, at one point before the cut, he was pretty close to him. And then obviously DeChambeau kind of survived it. But like okay. Ian Woosnam, Ian Woosnam had another good, had a pretty decent run of form he, at the masters as well he was money leader 10 of the last 12 years in the champions tour <laughs> leading How, winner. okay here's the other question so you've got the masters you've won the masters you're in it for life do you literally play it till the year you die or is there a time where you're like no now i'm embarrassing myself I'm not going in the Masters anymore. But even <laughs> you mean embarrassing you're... yourself golf-wise, or like the fact that no, like you have Alzheimer's, like, completely you just, like, start taking your yeah. pants off. Yeah, you've been you've become completely incontinent. <laughs> like you just... Yeah, let's leave let's leave the the really sad part of aging out of this. Let's just assume you're a you know like compass mentis and you know reasonably fit and healthy. But Frank, are you googling that now? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but, but you're down to like your tee shot now. You you get the driver out, and it's a sixty yard drive. You'd are still you still? You'd, are you you'd still? Piss off so many people. No, but legitimately, I mean this not to annoy people. Would you legitimately? Would you keep doing it, or would you say enough's enough? I think. I think there would be a point where you just think this isn't. I'm not really playing golf. I'm just kind of swinging something terribly and inconveniencing so many people. Like there would be a point where once a drive becomes ridiculously ineffective, like anything below like 200 yards, for example, you'd probably think I'm, I'm kind of done here. So yeah, I'd probably have a cutoff point. It's tough. Like my dad in his, at his golf club, there's a guy who plays there who is, I've played with a couple times. And he's 87, I think. And when you play with him, he's quick. He has that going for him. He literally walks up, swings club, hits club, starts moving. Because I think he knows he has to if he's going to keep up. Because obviously this is Europe. So he's walking the course. He's not got a, a buggy or like a golf cart. So, but, and there's no caddies. So he's pulling his own clubs. He he probably shoots, admittedly, this is not Augusta. He probably shoots around 90. Like still, it's not far, but it's dead straight. Like you can tell he was a good golfer when he was younger. So there's not a lot of distance. His tee shots, his driver probably goes, I don't know, 150 yards, but straight. He'll never lose it. A bad one only goes 100. Not bad. Being like 12, 15 over. It's really oh, no, bad. it's pretty good. He, I've, turned, I've played with other people who, who have that immediately look at him like, I'm playing with an 87-year-old. Like, this is what a waste of time. And then he's beaten them. <laughs> so, like, there are moments. He's really impressive because he told me, I spoke to him once after we went for like a beer after playing around. And he has sailed around he sailed the atlantic multiple multiple times like solo and then uh duos however two part two people he um he sailed the pacific he retired when he was 68 and decided that as a re- for retirement he wanted to sail across the pacific as and so as a 68 year old he and two of his other friends who also retired childhood friends all retired in the same year they bought a boat in south america and then uh, decided from where to where so from the the western coast of south america to japan was what they wanted to sail oh wow full-on right to left kind of like bottom right top left and so they bought this boat and they started sailing and one of them had a heart attack uh, like three days into it. But three days into it meant that they were like three days away from being back in South America and also like five days away from being anywhere else. Like they were in that stage of the journey where it's like nothing around you. Um, and so they had just keep, they kept sailing. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't in critical condition, but he'd had a heart attack, you know, like, and they kept sailing until they got to some Pacific Island and they left him there. And then they sailed on and completed it. I assume it was habited. <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't just dump him. Good luck. <laughs> you ever seen Castaway? This is, here's a volleyball. Good. <laughs> See you in a few years. 
It was inhabited. Yeah, it was. He was able to get the medical treatment he required and then fly back to France. He's fine, still alive. So there was no sad. But uh, it's a story, though. It did make me feel kind of, you know, when you meet people and you feel a little bit pathetic about what you do in your own life. And then you think that here's this guy who at 68 years old with, you know, with two of his friends, all of whom, right, are good, good sailors. Like they've sailed their entire lives. They grew up on the coast. They sailed from five years old till 68, but still just being like, we'll buy a boat and we'll sail across the Pacific. And And you're like, oh, I'll tell you about this time. I had a really good win in Warzone. I, well, I, I'd claim to have started a podcast. That would be more of an achievement than, than, than just when I play video games. But yeah, I, would, I did tell him a couple times about some thrilling Warzone victories, and he was impressed. Did you tell him it was actually Warzone, though? Like, no, I made it seem like, like I was at Dropped war. in. <laughs> yeah. I was surrounded. Gas was closing in all around me. Oh, it was just me yeah. against six enemies. I Think stabbed Stalingrad 1940s. This stabbed, is where I was. I stabbed one in the back and then randomly this this uh this hawk swooped in and ripped his neck out and then I then I shot a couple of others. At one moment I was down but fortunately I just stabbed myself in the hearts with a needle, just pumped myself full of adrenaline and I got up and killed the remainder. And I'm here. I'm fine. On that note, uh any other stories from the week or sports that we're looking forward to this weekend? No, just episode four of the Mighty Ducks. So I live and breathe right now. That's pathetic. <laughs> that is, even as a joke, it's sad. Uh, no, the actually to up weekend to to bring back oh, what yeah. we talked about what we talked about before. The fact that their team is the don't bothers is so pathetic because we're actually putting back our hockey team for roller hockey now that like everyone's vaccinated we can start playing again and we want to come up with a new team name and had this been a better name i would have suggested we name oh, our you team gotta, no, after no, no. that you got but i don't want to su- be the don't bothers you've got to be the don't bothers because that's one step closer to us getting the human tripod on the podcast <laughs> because do you, do, you, do you want me to, to- you need to be a team player. Who the tripod is on our team? No, no. Then you just, then you just, your. Do you have names on your jerseys? Yeah. You just, you have tripod. <laughs> you, you, you have yourself tripod. Oh, that's funny. Well, on on that note, maybe we call it a day. <laughs> yeah, I've got other things to do now. Yep. Sam, good luck. Wear your mask. I will. With pride. I'll talk to you boys later. Jerry up. <laughs>